When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com, continuing our look at Brown's draft picks, Doug Maurice and Scott Patsko doubling up today. James Hudson, Tommy, Togiai. Scott, no offense to them. I don't want them to listen to this. We know all the draft picks are listening. I don't want James and Tommy uh, uh, to listen and be like, JOK got his own pod. Why do we have to share? They're linemen, right? It, there's not quite as much there. It's, it's nothing personal. This is life as a fourth round pick. You know, things are not going to be handed to you on a silver platter. You got to work for them. So, you know, if they, they stick around, maybe next off season, we're doing an entire podcast on James Hudson and his impact. Well, actually, maybe that's the worst case scenario for the Browns where we're doing a podcast <laughs> on James Hudson and his impact on the offensive line because that means somebody isn't there but anyway the, the idea is still the same you know if you're a fourth round pick you get half a podcast and you're just going to have to accept that i hope we'll be listening to james talk in the middle of the season and and he'll be saying you know ever since i heard that podcast where i had to share with tommy togia that's what's driven me as a professional athlete all right we're going to dive in on james hudson and tommy togia scott's going to break down a bunch of numbers uh, my film stuff is very minimal this week. Again, it's it's offensive lineman. Tommy Togiai, though, I mean, I covered the guy his whole college career, so I have a little more to say about that. But let's start with James Hudson, the offensive tackle. Scott Patsko, dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape. All right, so the Browns bring back all five returning offensive linemen this season, and it's a group that was considered by most as one of the best, if not the best, offensive line in football last season. Um, pro football, <clears throat> excuse me, pro football focus graded them first in pass blocking and run blocking, so it's a good group. And we know that all the changes they made last season, but what's behind those starters, the Browns still have Chris Hubbard, who used to be a starting right tackle and served uh, as a guard and a tackle last season. So he's versatile and he's back. They lost Kendall Lamb though, who was a uh, kind of a, a backup at tackle and got some time last season. Uh, he left a free agency. So those were your main two backups last season at tackle. And now they're down to one. So, it made sense that they would go out and draft somebody because when people started getting hurt last year, that's how you ended up with a guy named Blake starting or, you know, getting time at tackle and Blake Hans, by the way, 52% of the snaps against the chiefs in the playoffs. I don't think that gets talked about enough. Um, the fact that the Browns were without Jedrick Wills oh, pretty much all that game. Anyways, is that, the, is that the name of the short story that you're writing about what <laughs> happened to the Browns offensive line late in the year? A guy named Blake. That's the guy from Northwestern. I mean, he, they were literally down to like their what? He was their what? Like sixth tackle? Like, I mean, like at least yeah. fifth. I mean, like that was not, and that dude had to play. Yeah. 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 It was just, it seems like every year there's some position that just really gets whittled away. And 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 it, it wasn't like that all season, but at times yeah. the offensive line had that issue. So, so Andrew Barry drafted James Hudson uh, the third in the fourth round. Of the draft out of Cincinnati. He's 6'5", 313. He was a one-year starter for the Bearcats because he transferred from Michigan where he had started out as a defensive lineman 
didn't get much playing time there. Tried to make a switch, ended up transferring. Um, and we don't have to get into the whole transfer thing, but there was a, a thing between Luke Fickle and, and Harbaugh and allowing the transfer. And it was just kind of a mess, but he did end up getting uh, one season, albeit a, you know, abbreviated season uh, with the Bearcats at, at tackle. The Browns like him because he graded really well as a zone blocker, 70.8, according to PFF. So he's a good fit from that standpoint. Uh, his pass blocking grade was 80, but as a run blocker, just 56.9. So there's obviously work to do in that area. If you're going to play offensive lineman for the Browns, uh, zone blocking is great, but run blocking is part of that. And Nick Chubb needs somebody to run behind who, who gets yeah. the job done. And he's got work to do. He did not have a good pro day. He didn't fare well in the vertical or the broad jumps uh, at the pro day. He finished below the 50th percentile in both of those drills, which are used to gauge uh, alignments, explosiveness off the snap. But despite that, and it might've just been a bad day because everybody raves about his athleticism and his movement ability in general. And you got to figure that's what got the attention of Andrew Barry and, and Kevin Stefanski, because again, that's a good scheme fit for the Browns. They have offensive linemen who are moving in unison or polling. There's just a lot of movement. It isn't simply, you're not really on an Island as a tackle here. You, you have to really do a lot of movement. So he did not allow a sack last season at Cincinnati. He didn't even have a holding call again. First, you know, first full year as a, as a offensive tackle, he had only four blown blocks and 450 snaps. So that's a lot of good stuff. Um, our colleague Ellis Williams did a, a film breakdown after they drafted him and used the term raw athleticism. And I saw variations of that show up a lot in scouting reports uh, on Hudson. I mean, as a fourth round pick, I think that's probably the one trait you're looking for that you can build off. You know, you, you can't really coach that. Obviously they either have that or they don't. And if you're going to be aligned for the Browns, that's a good place to start. And Hudson seems to have that. You know, Scott, I, I, we may as well just jump to this idea for a second here, because I think it, it ties into the guy we talked about last week and the two guys we're talking about today, James Hudson and Tommy Togiai today and Anthony Schwartz last week. You know, I don't know what they're going to do right now, but you can see the upside for all those guys. And when you're dancing around in the third and fourth round, this makes a lot of sense that like these are the type of guys that the Browns went for in these mid rounds that uh, mo all three of these guys, I think you can look and say, I mean, they certainly project as starters, maybe year three. I don't know that they're completely polished in what they do right now, but this guy is super intriguing as a, as a late position switch in college football. And it's funny. Uh, I just recorded um, a podcast with, a friend of mine about Braxton Miller for our Buckeye talk podcast that is going to drop last week. And Braxton Miller is a very famous late position switch in college and Browns fans know he, he came through camp last year as a receiver, but that was more sort of a, by necessity kind of searching for a way for this guy's athleticism to fit, to move him from quarterback to receiver after he hurt his shoulder, this James, James Hudson one, even though it was late is a little more natural. It's like he was playing the defensive line he was a big time recruit. Like it wasn't quite happening. And it was like, man, this guy is like, a, has a lot of traits, right? Like this guy's got a lot of stuff, man. It feels like there's, there should be something in there and he's got enough length, right? He's and and he's added some weight. I know he added some weight at pro day and that kind of thing. He was getting a little bigger after the end of the year. He's like one of those kind of long lean tackles, but 
for the Browns to take him in the fourth, if we're looking at a world, we think Jedrick Wills is here long-term, but I mean, you don't, you've, you've got a plan for the future. You know, Jack Conklin's making an awful lot of money to do what he's doing. Is he going to sign again in Cleveland? I don't know. But like, if you can start training up James Hudson, like in case Jack Conklin doesn't re-sign here, right? This is the kind of thing that they need somebody now, but they need somebody long-term. And it's just the type of pick. And you said he had like a bad pro day. I almost wonder if like that might've been good for the Browns for the Browns. Cause if he would have lit up pro day, this guy might've gone late in the second, right? That this is, he's a late tr- switch. He only has a one year film and it's the pandemic year. And so he's probably a better football player than a fourth round pick. He's just a little raw at the position he's playing and it allowed him to be here at this point for the Browns. But you got to like the idea of upside picks in the third and fourth round. That's clearly what they were thinking. It's funny how we view and talk about the draft now versus how we did and Browns fans probably did five, 10, 15 years ago. Now it's, you, you were really, we really look at, the positives and someone like James Hudson or any day three pick like, yeah, that makes sense. This guy can do this thing. And and that's why it makes sense in this offense. And he doesn't have to come in here and be the guy. Whereas five, 10, 15 years ago, we might be looking at James Hudson in the fourth round and like, why would, why, why would you pick that guy? Well, they need guys who can come in here and, and contribute, you know, right away. And, and it's just a totally different world and how we view the draft for the Browns because they're a good talented team now. And so you can take somebody in the fourth round who needs work and it's not as big a deal as it would have been, you know, because you know what you have, you know, you have some time to work with this guy and their expectations aren't so out of whack with the way they used to be with Browns draft picks. Yeah. One man's upside pick is another man's reach, right? That it is. It's, it's, I mean, he clearly is not a finished product, but because they're good, but it's also, I think we talked about this before. It is, it's like, once you get good, you get an edge because you do, you can draft for the future, not for right now, because you already have good players. And then you can take some upside ceiling risks while other teams are like, man, I, ah. We need like a tackle who might compete in camp to start right now, which I don't think James Hudson would be ready to do. So it is once you're good, you, you bank some things that allow you to continue to be good. And I think James Hudson is a pick like this. All right. So, so what do we think it means for now, Scott? I, I mean, you did say it's one of these things. I mean, I, I, I do think about this wrong sometimes because I'm not that smart and it's like, well, he's taking up a roster spot. I mean, he's not, he's not going to be a practice squad guy. He's going to get swooped. Someone's going to grab him off practice squad. So he's got to be on the roster. And like, if you're on the roster, you might have to play, right? I mean, like if they have two tackle injuries, he's in an NFL game for a team that we think has a chance to win the Super Bowl. So you can't be, it can't be a totally learning on the job experience. But if the Browns are healthy, what are we thinking about James Hudson? Well, I mean, the short answer is special teams, right? Uh, that's where he would uh, get his snaps and, and try to have an impact. But again, Andrew Barry isn't just thinking about this season. He's thinking about, you know, two, three, four, five years down the line. So what does it mean to draft an offensive tackle in the fourth round for your future? Well, from 2010 to 2019, there were 20 offensive tackles drafted in the fourth round. 
by teams that didn't seem to realize that they are, in fact, one of the worst investments you can make in terms of finding primary starters in the fourth round. Um, Michael Nania, who writes about analytics for a Jets-focused website, I think it's Jets, Jets X Factor, I believe it's called, um, he tracked all positions over the last decade to see which ones in which rounds had the best value. You know, where were teams finding their starters and in what positions were they finding them at, you know, in what round. And offensive tackle in the fourth round had a primary starter rate of just 44%, meaning talking about total number of players and total number of games started over that 10-year period. If you want to bump that player inside to play guard, the starter rate drops to 36.5%. Only wide receivers and quarterbacks had were worst value picks in the fourth round over that 10-year that period. Having said that, arguably the best offensive tackle in the NFL right now, the Packers, uh, David Bakhtari, there he is. Uh, he was a fourth-round pick, but he's just kind of an anecdote here because from 2010 to 2019, fourth-round offensive tackles had just two Pro Bowl seasons and one All-Pro season, and they were both that guy. <laughs> just one person. So Hudson is stepping into a situation where history is kind of against him as far as becoming a team's primary starter based on where he was drafted. I actually went back over all day three offensive linemen drafted by the Browns since 99. There were 11 before Hudson. The majority were in the sixth or seventh round. One was in the fourth, Isaac Soles, 2006. He played 17 games. He did not start. And that's the trend you're going to find with day three linemen. Very few starts, which means they're mostly getting their snaps on special teams, even if they stick around for, for multiple years. Only three of those 11 linemen became regular starters. The most notable was Jason Pinkston. He was a fifth rounder in 2011. Uh, he started 24 of 25 games, and he had he had some health issues. He had like a blood clot in his lung and had ankle injuries. Uh, he, it was three years, basically. So maybe maybe Hudson develops, and he's the next David Bakhtiari. But, but recent history suggests his NFL career will look a little different than that. And again, he's stepping into an offensive line situation where everybody is kind of solidly in place as a starter. So he's not even, he's not challenging for a position. He's challenging for a backup position. And that's his immediate future. That's what it's going to be. I mean, when you look about, look at the Browns, like their two tackles are first round picks, right? That your point right. is like, it's hard to find tackles late. You right. kind of got to go pick tackles. So the Browns have two tackles who were both top 10 picks in the draft. And they're here this year and they're here next year. So like they acknowledge that they're doing tackle right. The thing that I would be curious about is you get an athlete like this and everybody's like, again, Scott, I mean, I think you make a good point. It's like everybody's just in a good mood about the, <laughs> about the Browns. Everything is, well, you just take this guy who doesn't know what he's doing and you give him to Bill Callahan and Bill Callahan rubs his little genie lamp and out comes an all pro offensive lineman. And it's like, okay, I mean, I guess they have good coaches. They have good players. They have a good front office. All the fans are happy. So then everything is good. But fourth round picks at lots of places miss all the time. So I think, I mean, he's an athlete. So you get an athlete in here at a, at a position where you trust the coach. I wonder, and this is off script, could he play guard? I mean, lots of tackles move into guard. And if he's an athlete, right, and he's, he already switched this side of the ball, and he, he is athletic. Who's, who's an athletic guy on the Browns offensive line who's like physical and has some juice and is athletic 
maybe isn't perfect in every way, but like can really get some stuff done because he'll just kind of kick your booty doing his job. I mean, like if Wyatt Teller doesn't stick around here long term and it's like, well, it might be Nick Harris and it might be Drew Forbes and it might be like, well, how about this 6'4", 310 pound, really good athlete that's been moving around? What if we put him in there and say, go kick some booty and pull a little bit and get out like, I don't know. That that's not what people are talking about right now, but I'm sure if you looked at, you know, interior offensive linemen late in the draft, that's where people find interior offensive linemen all the time. And so maybe you just get an athlete and throw throw them in there, and, and maybe that'd be a shot too. Yeah, I mean that is a bit of a of a trend uh, with some of these third day guys who are drafted as tackles. They do end up with guards. Pinkston was a guard. Uh, they used him as a guard, and um, a, a few others on the list here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's – look, they're going to – again, they have time to figure out what he's going to be in the NFL. They don't have to force feed him something. Uh, it, it was like that with Drew Forbes. Uh, he was a tackle in college, and I think he played every position on the line uh, during his rookie camp as they tried to figure out what the best use for him was, uh, and then he got hurt. So, uh, yeah, everything's a possibility, I think, at this point. And if you have athleticism and you can move, then you have – other options outside of just tackle. And a lot of it, and and just watching some film on him a little bit. And again, Ellis did a film breakdown on James Hudson and Tommy Togiai when, when they were both picked and Ellis will be back joining us soon, but he's not like he, how could he's not, I mean, it's just like, what's another word for raw that it's like, it looks like he can move. It looks like he's powerful. It's not exactly the exact right thing all the time, but he has a lot of clips where, there's an edge rusher trying to get around the edge on him. Right. And maybe his kick out and the way he slides, isn't Joe Thomas esque and it's not perfect. And it's not Jedrick Wills doing that little Joe Thomas foot thing where they're scoot, 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 and they're in perfect position, but he's, he's quick enough that he drives the guy wide. And then all the highlights, at least I know it's not every play, almost every highlight, he ends up burying the pass rusher. That it's like the guy ends up on his face on the ground and James Hudson is on top of him, like shoving his face in the ground. So he's got some athleticism and he's got some juice, right? And and the zone scheme, you can see some stuff where he'll just wipe out a guy on his side of the line to cave in that hole for a back to come in behind him. And this is not scientific, Scott, but he was a left tackle last year for Cincinnati. Cincinnati was really good. And their quarterback was really good. Desmond Ritter was really good. And so he was only a one-year starter protecting Desmond Ritter. And Desmond Ritter does a lot on his own. Desmond Ritter's back this year. We'll get to see what Cincinnati looks like. You know, if Desmond Ritter's running for his life a little bit more because the left tackle isn't as good, we'll get a read on how important James Hudson was to them. But like in a great big vat of what you're looking for, Scott, the idea that he was the left tackle for a good quarterback on a good team means he must have done his job. And again, Ellis's film breakdown, they played Georgia in their bowl game and Aziz Ojolari, who was a guy who, you know, was, we talked about him pre-draft as like, could he be a guy, the guy that the Browns look at in the first round and James Hudson did okay against him, right? The, the first clip that Ellis pulled out is Ojolari trying to get around the edge and James Hudson, like blocking him and shoving his face in the ground. So like upside, but also there is some proof, Scott, that it's not like this is an upside from a division three guy. This is an upside from a guy who was on a two and 10 team, 
you know, in, in the Sun Belt. Like Cincinnati was almost, people thought Cincinnati should have been in the playoff last year. And this guy was a primary part of that. And you can see it. You watch the film and you can see it, but you also can see where it could be better. Yeah, and I think the my my favorite uh, clip of that, and it might have been Ellis's too during his uh, film breakdown, was when he pulled uh, from the backside of the play and basically got out so fast that he was running uh, even with I think it was a receiver on an end around. Um, I mean, that's the kind of thing that I think uh, Kevin Stefanski sees, and he's like, that guy fits in what we want to do here, because uh, you know Joel Petonio, J.C. Treader pulled a ton last season, and they need guys who can do that. So even if he is put into a, a, a guard position, um, he's shown that that he can. He's got the speed and the movement to get out and, and be in front of a play. And like you said, he's he was kind of mauling people. And he, some of those plays kind of remind me of Drew Forbes a little bit. Um, I remember after the draft, John Dorsey had a bunch of other beat writers up to the what had been the war room, and we were watching film of everybody, and he. He was really excited about watching Drew Forbes plant people in the turf. But the difference with Forbes is then he would stand over them and kind of explain to the person how he just planted them in the turf. He just he had that mean streak. And um, some people said Hudson has a little bit of that. But I think you're right. There is a difference between the level that that Hudson is coming from versus versus someone like Forbes. And Forbes has already been pretty much knocked inside to uh, interior lineman spot anyways. Yeah, Hudson seems to have a little juice. I mean, you can find highlights there where he clears out his side in a zone block and the running back goes and he's running down the field with his hands in the air kind of guy, right? And it's funny to think about Wyatt Teller, fifth round 2018 and his third year in the league with the Browns last year, he was playing at like a pro bowl level. So it's like, but, but, he, but Wyatt Teller, also his first team gave up on him because they were good on the bills were good on the offensive line and like, they kind of didn't need him. And he kind of was like a little bit of a starter, but not really. And then the Browns were desperate. And then like year three in the league, he explodes. He absolutely explodes. So it's like, okay, let's, let's see what James Hudson does in 2023, which right might be right in that spot, like a spot on the line. They're not going to stay together forever. This five group of five is not going to stay together forever, but this makes sense because they have time now they can see, but they also probably, you know, they might end up taking a guy in the first round to fill in one of those spots at some point. But if James Hudson means they don't have to do that because they say, oh, no, no, we lost one of the guys off our great offensive line, but we don't need to use a first rounder to replace him because this fourth round flyer turns out he's got it. Now, all of a sudden, again, you're like you're you're building off your capital. Cause you had enough good players. You could take a little bit of a flyer around four. He hit, which means you can take a luxury pick in round two, instead of feeling like you have to draft the starting offensive lineman. And that is how you keep it rolling. And not every James Hudson, as again, I lumped these three guys together, Scott off the top, Anthony Schwartz, James Hudson, and Tommy Togi. I don't all have to hit, but what if one of these three really hits and like two years from now, they are like not just a starter, but like a very good player for the Browns. Then the Browns are rolling. They're in good shape. I think if they go one for three, Scott, if they get of these three guys, if they get like one quite good player, one serviceable starter and one guy that misses, I think that ratio off these three picks, third round pick and two fourth rounders would be really good for them. 
Yeah, and I think coming into a situation where you have those veterans on the offensive line, I mean, he gets to practice with Jack Conklin. He gets to practice with Joel Batonio, uh, J.C. Treader. I mean, that's that's got to help. And obviously, like you mentioned, Bill Callahan uh, is, is coaching this group. And by the way, and this is off topic, what line of Bill Callahan's resume do you find Wyatt Teller on? Like, how high is he on that resume? I know Bill Callahan's done some great things in the NFL, but taking a guy who was seen as the, the question mark on, on the offensive line last season, and he becomes like the best run blocking guard, run blocking offensive lineman in the NFL last season. I think Bill Callahan gets a lot of credit for that just because he's the coach, but that's got to be pretty high in his resume. Yeah. Cause it had pieces, but someone had to put it together. Yeah. And I, th- and I think James Hudson's an, is a very interesting pieces guy. Again, and I think I think it's the exact right kind of thing the Browns should be doing at this point in the draft. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back with another guy who is like the James Hudson of the defensive side of the ball. It's Tommy Togiai out of Ohio State. We'll do him next on Gotta Watch the Tape. Doug Marie, Scott Patsko. Scott doing all the heavy lifting here on Gotta Watch the Tape. He's got another numbers breakdown on Tommy Togiai who I watched every snap of his college career, but I had to go back and watch the highlights. Cause like, what did he do? I have a terrible memory <laughs> uh, being a, ba- a terrible memory for a sports writer is not great. I mean, I've been around those old sports writers, Scott, who can be like, Oh, Tommy Togiai. I remember the seventh snap of the third series, his second year in the fourth game. He, and I'm like, what? So, um, but the internet, very helpful. Very helpful in those kind of things. So let's get into Tommy Togiai, defensive tackle. Scott Patsko dive in on got to watch the tape. And, and it's okay, Doug. No one's, no one's really paying attention to the line lineman anyways. I mean, you're watching the ball, right? Thank you. Scott Garrett Wilson, he's good. Tommy Togiai, I don't know. I saw him sack people. So, yeah. So the Browns uh, remade their defensive line pretty much from almost top to bottom. Only Miles Garrett remains from last season's primary starters. And while the edge defender – Seems to have like some obvious starting candidates now with the new people. The interior of the line, it might be up for grabs at this point. Sheldon Richardson, Larry Ogunjobi are gone. Three players were signed in free agency, and another was signed as an undrafted rookie. And then you also have Andrew Billings in the mix, who opted out last season. Browns drafted Jordan Elliott last year in the third round. He's back, but they took another swing at the position with Tommy Togiai in the fourth round this year. And like James Hudson, he was a one-year starter uh, in college. PFF is a big fan. He graded at 87.8 against the run, 77 as a pass rusher. And his pass rush win rate is 16%, actually 16.1%, which ranked about the 90th percentile for his position last season. So as far as uh, pass rushing skills, you're, you're getting a, a nice bump, definitely from, from what you got from Ogan Joby uh, last couple of years. He had a really good pro day. He ranked above the 90th percentile in the three cone and the broad jump, which showed off his movement ability uh, as well as explosiveness. The one thing that gets mentioned with Togiai is his lack of arm length, which, I mean, when looking at a guy that big, it's weird to talk about his arm length, but he was in the eighth percentile in arm length for defensive tackles. Uh, His arms were a little over 31 inches long. I have no idea how long my arms are. Do you know how long your arms are? I know you measured your hand before. I, I, I've measured all my body parts. <laughs> I, I bet that I bet my arms are longer than Tommy Tokyo's. I'm kind of a, I'm a, I'm a long lean drink of water. So um, it is, I will challenge Tommy Tokyo to that. If you, if you happen to see me in camp, 
uh, at some point on the sideline when Tommy Togiai is trying to walk back in the locker room. And if we're both standing there with our arms spread out <laughs> like we're condors, uh, please come over and tackle me and tell me to leave Tommy Togiai alone. There you go. But I think uh, these measures, I think he was 6'2", 296. I believe that's from his pro day measurements. Um, but again, uh, the, the arm length comes up, but he seemed to make up for it with his strength, number one. Uh, technique, instincts, stuff like that at Ohio State. So it wasn't an issue there. Uh, the key is, will it be anything, any, any, any issue with the Browns? We'll have to find that out. But that's kind of an overview of, of, of where we're at with Tommy Togiai. So it does one of those things. He was, uh, he was, and they, we talked about this when he got drafted. He was trying to do some monster bench press stuff at Pro Day, but it does help you do a better bench press when your arms are short. Like that's like a, it's not coincidental. It's like you don't have as yeah. far to go. Now, so me with my long arms, that's why I can't even do the bar. It's because my arms are so long. I mean, it's quite quite a hindrance. I'm just dragging these things around, and it's why my arms look like noodles. But um, he is really strong, and I do think when you get into him a little bit, this is a common thing with all the Larry Johnson guys who play defensive line for Ohio State. They're just really good with their hands. He just teaches the hand-fighting techniques at a really high level. And so it's like, if your arms are short, that means the offensive lineman can get his arms out and get his arms on you and keep you away from doing things. But you see Togi, I come off the line and he's like in a slap fight with people right from the jump and he's winning (laughs) and he's free. Right. And that's exactly Larry Johnson teaches it. Like it's like, it's karate. It's, it's, it's hand-to-hand combat. And so there are things that, that the game that everybody brings up from last year, and again, it's not, everybody knows it, truncated season. Ohio State only played eight total games, and he didn't get to play in the national championship game because of COVID testing. So he only played seven games last year. That was the only year he started. It's very truncated, and he went nuts against Penn State. He had three sacks against Penn State. He, like All his stats were against Penn State. So those are the highlights you watch, and he's just hand-fighting, 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 and winning on a regular basis. And so – you can see how that translates. So it is like, it's the one thing he doesn't have, but like he has an answer to it. Like at least he did on the college level. And again, that's Penn state. That's not Rutgers or Illinois. That's like good football players, you know, like real dudes that he's playing on the interior of the Penn state offensive line. So you can see, you can see how it can work. You can see how it can work. So I'll get into a couple more things about what I, what I think he might be. um, But how does he fit? Scott, like, again, we're thinking this is a very interesting, unlike, you know, James Hudson's popping into like five established starters. Tommy Tokyo at his position isn't popping into a very established group. It's an interesting group, but it's certainly not, not what James Hudson's doing. There's, there's more immediate opportunity, at least for Tommy Tokyo. Yeah. It's a new group for sure. And by, by the way, uh, early in Hugh Jackson's tenure, they had a guy come to Brown's uh, camp to, I think it was his background was in Taekwondo and he was doing all the hand stuff. He'd take people over on the side, very popular with anybody who was shooting video during training camp that year. Um, did not work out so well during, uh, during his tenure, but um, it's clearly something that, that football teams want their linemen to understand and get better at and trying to get creative and, and how they do it. So, yeah. So we mentioned how the defensive tackle is a crowded position full of new faces. Togi is one of the two rookies in the group. Marvin Wilson is the other. And the Browns reportedly outbid uh, other teams to sign him as an undrafted free agent, giving him $30,000 signing bonus and I think a good chunk of guaranteed money, which makes him an interesting uh, person at camp. You know, does that mean he's making the team? 
I think there's like expectations that come along with that. But as a fourth round pick though, Togi I is probably making the team. It doesn't really make sense to try and sneak him to the practice squad. The good news for him is that defensive tackles drafted into the fourth round have a great track record of sticking. In fact, uh, going back to that, the data I had before from 2010 to 2019 defensive tackle had the best primary starter rate of any position group in the fourth wow. round. That's out of 25 picks. It is a starter rate of 65%, nine Pro Bowl seasons. Geno Atkins, who the Browns will know uh, from the Bengals, Mike Daniels, the Browns kicked the tires on him a couple years ago. Uh, he, he ended up going to the Packers. Um, those are kind of the best examples of fourth-round success in the position. But Andrew Billings factors into this as well. He was a fourth-round pick of the Bengals in 2016. He started 37 of 47 games in his three seasons with the Bengals. So if you're going to take a shot on someone in the fourth round, it seems like defensive tackle is a good way to go. The Browns, though, have not really followed that trend and haven't really contributed to the whole good value thing with defensive tackles. They drafted only two over the last decade. decade. Do you remember either of them? Larry Ogunjobi? No, he was a... Yeah, he was a third rounder. That's why I didn't have third him. Rounder. Yeah, that's why okay. I double check. I'm like, did I miss Larry Ogunjobi? What was in 2017 and Sashi Brown had to come downstairs and into the media room and explain why they drafted him because he came with baggage and that was Caleb Brantley. Oh yeah. Round. He played 20 games uh, in the NFL. I don't believe he was with anybody last season. He definitely didn't play. The other was Billy Wynn, uh, sixth rounder in 2012, played 74 games. Uh, he played a lot as a rookie, uh, not necessarily because he beat out a bunch of other people, but that was the point in the Browns recent history where, you know, there was a lot of emergency rookies being thrown into starting spots. Um, but that's pretty much it. Their best day three defensive tackle since 99 was a top of Ruben. Uh, he was a sixth rounder in 2008. He was, he's one of the best defensive players the Browns have had since 99. He's played almost 99 games, 75 starts. So other than that though, you're looking at guys who played like, you know, 20, 15 games and they were always uh, special teams guys, or they just didn't make it past camp. So Togi, I clearly has a better path to a starting spot than Hudson as a fourth rounder. But, you know, based on recent history and the makeup of the position, I think that helps him maybe even more so because there aren't, you don't have the players in the middle of this defensive line that you can point to and say, yeah, that guy's a starter. Yeah, that guy's a starter. That kind of has to shake out during camp. They have a guys who they've kind of taken a, uh, a chance on who are either maybe at the back end of their career or just guys who have some experience because they know that, you know, Togiai, Elliot, they're young, Billings sat out a year. So it's a better situation than Hudson, but you wonder if he can kind of make it through that shuffle and, and, and find a starting role. It, it seems like he's probably going to maybe have Jordan Elliott's role this season, that, yeah. that 300, two to 300 snap guy who isn't the starter but he's still getting regular playing time all right quick break we'll come back and i'll let you know what i think is going to happen with tommy togi as a brown next on gotta watch the tape Douglas Maurice and scott patsko all right scott so so i do think that makes sense right that mary Cabot had a really good story on andrew billings this week that i would direct everybody toward that he was talking about his decision to opt out last year and sort of seeing miles garrett get COVID and struggle with that Again, super intrigued by guys who sit out for COVID and come back. I think it could be 
a great thing just to give your body a break, not because of an injury, but you give your body a break in the middle of your career. You've been doing this since you were 12 years old, going hard. You take a break. And I think it's possible that like, you're awesome then coming off of that. Right. I'm super intrigued by that. I think Andrew Billings might be awesome this year because he sat out last year and he feels like he's got 20% extra juice compared to everybody else. But Togi has got a shot. I will. Uh, my prediction is that for 2022, he's a starter and that he winds up. I think it's very possible of all the defensive tackles currently on the roster. He winds up being the best one, not this year, but maybe next year and the year after that, because there's a couple things at play here. One is he does have that raw natural strength. And I think the, the, the hand technique and listen, he, when you're Larry Johnson's your coach in college, you're ahead of the game, right? I mean, you're going to beat some guys because he's ignored. And that's not Ohio state Homer stuff. I mean, that, that guy was doing it at Penn state for two decades. He's one of the best defensive line coaches in the history of college football. So he's teaching his guys stuff that not everybody's getting taught. So you're a little bit ahead, but I do think he has that technique. When you watch him last year, one of two things happened on plays. He either got penetration or it was a stalemate. I don't think I saw Tommy, Tommy Togi. I get knocked backwards once last year. And then I can remember 10 years ago, there was a time when the Ohio state linebackers were having a rough year and it was like their defensive line wasn't very good. And nobody was tying anybody up and all the, the offensive linemen were like getting to the second level and blocking the linebackers. It was, it was a problem. And we just never, I can remember when everybody was jealous of like the sec defensive tackles and, and Ohio state. And this is so long ago. It's maybe this may as well be in, in black and white film era. Ohio state played LSU in the 2007 national championship game. And they played Glenn Dorsey and Ricky Jean Francois. And it was these extreme athletes at defensive tackle. And it was like, what is that? Wow. Does Ohio state not have that? And the first time Ohio State ever really had a defensive tackle who could move. And I remember this guy, it's like he would he would fight off a block and then a, a, a quarterback would escape outside or a running back would run wide and he'd run with him. And it's like defensive tackles are allowed to run sideline to sideline. I didn't know that was part of football. And it was Jonathan Hankins, who was a second round pick in the NFL. He's still in the league, but he was a second round pick in the 2013 NFL draft, pick 49. So here we are eight years later. And Tommy, Tommy Togiai, although he's strong and that's kind of his thing, he can move a little bit. And Scott, what you said about the, those combine, the pro day numbers, the three cone drill and some of that agility stuff. This is a guy that sometimes he gets penetration off the snap and he's in the backfield. But if he stalemates, he then stalemates and slides. And all of a sudden he's sliding into a hole. He's chasing wide on a play. And that is, he has a really good combination of just extreme raw natural strength where it's hard to move that guy. But sometimes when those guys, when you can't move them, they also can't move themselves, right? It's like, all right, well, they're plugging the hole, but that's about it. I think Tommy Togai can plug the hole and then also move after the fact. And I think, I thought he might be a third round pick. I predicted him as a third round pick. I think he slid a little bit. Mel Kuyper talked about this at the time. Pre-draft, if he had stayed at Ohio State for another year, maybe this is the kind of guy who could have been a second-round pick. I think he went off a good year, right? We talked. I asked him about that when he got drafted. Why do you go? Why He wanted to make sure he didn't get hurt. He was off a good year, wanted to make sure. He didn't know what was up with COVID. I think he's got a good package of athleticism, Scott. I think he might be the best athlete of the tackles on the Browns roster right now. 
So give him a year to figure it out. I think he is a pretty decent NFL starter in 2022. That's a, that's a, that's a high bar for a fourth rounder, but given what you said about what defensive tackles drafted at this spot can do, I think it's really possible because I like his package of skills. It seems like the Browns are taking the approach with defensive tackle. They took with linebacker, just take a lot of swings with a lot of guys and let's see if uh, maybe there can be like a rotation where we get the best of it out of everybody. You know, that's what the linebacker room was last year. And, and really it's probably what it's going to be like this year, uh, unless, you know, uh, Koromora becomes a three down starter and uh, the guy who never comes off the field for some reason, but that doesn't seem likely at this point and defensive tackles the same way. It, it might be that, uh, you end up with a group that, you know, different guys who do things different well and you're doing situational substituting and you have your edge defender spots uh, pretty well intact. Uh, you kind of know what you're getting from those. Uh, and we've talked before about maybe one of those guys being able to slide in more than we've seen in the past. So I think when we went through, uh, I think on the Orange Brown Talk podcast, we went through and, and tried to figure out how many defensive tackles the Browns might keep. And they basically had four the last few years with two guys getting the overwhelming majority of the snaps there. It could be different this season. And that's how Togiai, maybe, maybe his development gets ramped up a little bit because they're trying to, to use so many different things. I do think like the Andrew Billings path could be like exactly what he follows. Cause again, as you said, Andrew Billings, a fourth round pick of the Bengals was there four years, didn't play much his first year, but there was there four years. And then after four years, he was too good and they didn't want to pay him. And so he left, but they got like a nice little four year run of production out of a fourth round pick who then sort of exceeded his draft position. And then it was like, well, are we going to, I guess, are we going to pay this for defensive tackle? They let him walk in free agency and became a Brown. So I, you know, Scott, let's just jump into this right now. Do you think the Browns will re-sign Tommy Togia in 2025? No, that's <laughs> But like, you know what I mean? That's like a really good, if you're drafting fourth rounders who are, who are so productive by the time they get to their free agency, it's like, well, they, we don't want to pay that much for him. Let someone up like that's, that's great value for a fourth round pick. And I could see Tommy Togiai being that kind of guy where it's like, Hey, he really helped us for a couple of years. And then, you know, the lions signed him to a bigger deal than we were willing to pay. Good luck. Thanks for your, Cheap, important contribution for four years, which guess what is how you keep winning in the NFL. I really think Tommy Togiai between 2022 and 2024 is going to help the Browns. I really do. Certainly it would be a better situation than what they ended up with Larry Young and Joby, who, you know, after his rookie year underperformed. And then you're in a situation where you just, you don't want to pay for the, possibility he could bounce back because it right. really hadn't shown itself to be possible at that point. So yeah, you're right. You, you keep filtering in guys who are, who are cheap, who perform well. And yeah, that's how you stay good. And then you kind of supplement that with, with your big signings, with your veterans who, who get the big contracts. It's just that as they're remaking this inside, you know, interior of the defensive line, they don't have that big contract veteran in there right now. So I I feel, you know, we were a little hard on Anthony Schwartz, which is good. We're not just, we're not just saying every draft pick the Browns make is awesome, but I like these two. I like these two swings at this part in the draft. So we'll come back. Go ahead, Scott. I I never said they were awesome. Just for the record. (laughs) 
is there is it the right style of pick or do you think they actually could have used maybe a little more of a, I don't know what like a guy who you yeah you're pretty sure is going to help you right now if you need it maybe even like Nick Harris right that like Nick Harris I guess when he got a shot last year wasn't great I think people think Nick Harris is going to replace JC Treader one day He's a fifth round pick. I don't know if people think Nick Harris is a sneaky, great upside athlete, but I think people think like I played a lot of college football. You know, he could probably play interior defensive line. And like, we think if we need him right now, he'd be okay. Right. That that was, that was maybe a little more of a, of a middle down the middle pick where I think maybe Togia and Hudson are bigger swings. Did you think that they maybe could have gone a little more down the middle with one of these picks? I think their whole philosophy again is just volume. <laughs> more yeah. swings and, and hope they hit because that's just, I mean, that's a lot of new faces uh, at defensive tackle. And you got to figure that, that you're going to get at least two and a half guys out of that, that, that are good, that can be consistent players for you or somebody you know, like Elliot is going to get better. It's, I think it was more about volume and they wanted to hit that position as early as they could. And like I said, day four defensive tackle, the value tends to be pretty good with that spot. Yeah. Okay. I, I, Scott, I'm like, I didn't say they were awesome. Scott Pascal, just getting it on the record. So like, cause I would do that. I would come back on a got to watch the tape in November. Like if James Hudson gets cut and I'd be like, Hey Scott, you said James Hudson was going to be awesome. And you'd be like, no, I didn't really say that. You said that I said that. So Scott's putting it on the record. Yeah. Or I'll get the email saying you guys said they're going to be awesome and they're not playing well. And I'm like, here's Doug's email address. <laughs> Doug thinks everything the Browns do is great. Sorry. Okay. We'll come back. We'll finish up next week with kind of the last couple guys, last three picks in this draft. And then we'll start moving on to other things. I've got to watch the tape. Always appreciate you guys listening make sure you're catching all the episodes of the orange and Brown talk in this feed. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash Browns. Ellis Williams will be back soon. For now, for Scott Patsko, I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.